0: is false worship and the grace of God. Last week, we heard that Israel, the people of God, the children of God, did not understand who their God was anymore. The oxen, the donkeys, knew their masters, the people of Israel no longer understood. The children of God, the people of Israel, rebelled against him. The chosen people of God had become a sinful nation. The people were laden with iniquity. They had become offspring of evildoers. They were children who dealt corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They were utterly estranged. And because of Israel's disobedience, judgment was coming. Destruction was coming. But God is faithful. For those who obeyed and who remained faithful to God, he saved. God saved a remnant so that out of this remnant can come the savior of the world. This is the context in which we find verses 10 through 20. This is actually the context that we find in the entire book of Isaiah. Rebellion and disobedience. Judgment, but hope and mercy and grace in the face of disobedience, in the face of rebellion. This is the context. So let me ask you this, Trinity, Is there ever a time when God is not pleased with our worship? You have committed to faithful Sunday morning attendance. You consistently attend your community groups. You give generously and faithfully in the tithes and offerings that we receive every Sunday, you even serve in children's ministry, or you even serve in the the worship team, or in the usher team, you even serve as part of the connect team, you have even provided meals for families who, who are in need, you have even sacrificially given to the needs of Bolivia, and you have done all of these things to worship God, yet can it be possible that God is not pleased? with your multiple sacrifices and offering? The answer to that rhetorical question is an emphatic and resounding yes. Do you ever wonder why? Is there ever a time when God will not answer your prayers? You get up early in the morning to pray. You pray during the day and you pray at night. You're praying without ceasing. Yet it seems like God has hidden his eyes from you. Yet it seems like God is not even listening to your prayers. Yet it seems like God seems distant from you. It may even seem like, through all of your fervent prayers, that God has become weary and burdened of you. Can a loving God respond towards us like that? C.H. Spurgeon once said of false worship. He says this, apart from vital godliness, all religion is utterly vain. Offered without a sincere heart, every form of worship is a solemn shame and an impudent mockery of the majesty of heaven. Trinity. God cannot be mocked by false or hypocritical worship. It is clear in his word that he hates it. Here's the main burden of the text, and here's the main burden of this sermon. God rejects hypocritical worship or empty worship, or false worship, or hollow worship. Therefore, a heart of repentance is required for true worship. If you don't hear anything in this sermon but this, I hope this is what sticks into your hearts and minds. God rejects hypocritical worship. Therefore, a heart of repentance is required for true God honoring, God glorifying worship. Trinity, we are not above and beyond committing false or hypocritical worship. We are indeed capable of stacking up material worship while at the same time be negligent of the conditions of our heart. And if we are not careful in how we live our lives, then even in the faithfulness of our worship and in our giving, in our serving, God can still turn his face away if we do all of these things without repentance and if we continue to live our lives with a sinful lifestyle. Therefore, church, How can we avoid God rejecting our worship of him? How can we avoid God becoming weary of us? How can we avoid God God hiding his eyes from us? Well, let's look at his word together and let's together make five observations in verses 10 through 20. Here's the first observation. The summons to hear. Verse 10, look with me at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Now, it's important to note here how Isaiah bookends our section He begins with, hear the word of the Lord. And he ends with, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Clearly, God is speaking to the leaders and the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And for us today, Trinity, clearly God is speaking to the church leaders and the congregation of Trinity Community Church. This Passage is for all of us. Where God summoned the heavens and the earth to hear in verse 2. Now God summons the leaders and the people to hear in verse 10. Note that the identification of Israel with Sodom and Gomorrah was designed to emphasize the depravity, the fallenness of its people and leadership. Spiritually speaking, Israel was not like Sodom and Gomorrah. No, they had become Sodom and Gomorrah, spiritually speaking. In in chapter three, verse nine, Sodom is used as as a symbol of sin paraded. Sodom is used as a symbol of sin as accepted lifestyle. So as leaders, as the people of Trinity Community Church, it will do well for us to sit up and listen to the word of God. The word teaching there in verse 10 can be translated God's law. So why were the the leaders and the people of Israel offering sacrifices and offerings that we see in verses 11 through 15? In God's law, the Lord directed the people of Israel to build the tabernacle. We see this in Exodus 26 through 31. And the Lord in his law has established the theolo- theological significance of worship and sacrifice in Leviticus 1 through 6. It is in God's law that he appointed a nation's festivals. We see this in Exodus 34 and Leviticus 23. It is in God's law or in his teaching, the institution of Israelite worship that were designed so that the people could sense God's presence in their midst. It is in God's law that, that in, in the worship and in the institution of sacrifices that people can confess their sins and that they can renew their covenant relationship. For instance, in Leviticus chapters one through seven, it describes the regulations of the five main types of offerings in the tabernacle. You had the burnt offerings, you had the grain offerings, you had the fellowship offerings, you had the sin offerings, and you had the guilt offerings. The sin offering consisted of a bull, for the priest or for the whole community. The sin offering consisted of a male goat for a community leader. So if you sinned against God or against his people, you made a sin offering for your forgiveness of sin. And if you were a community group leader or a community leader, in this case, (laughs) it cost you a male goat. If you were a commoner, it cost you a female goat or a lamb and its blood and its life was taken for the forgiveness of your sin. Again, its purpose was to be forgiven of sin or to be cleansed from from ritual, physical impurity or to make atonement or to appease God's wrath in order to consecrate or maintain the purity of the tabernacle the temple or the community, the people of God. The guilt offering consisted normally of a ram and its purpose was to atone for violating the Lord's holy things or the property of others in the community. God summoned the leaders and the people of Israel to hear or to listen to God's law and its prescription of worship. Well, in our text this morning, there is bad news and good news. The bad news is described first in verses 11 through 15. And so the first observation is the summons to hear The second observation is the accusations. Look with me at verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs, or of goats. Verse 11 clearly states that God rejected Israel's worship. God said, I have had enough. I do not delight in your worship of me. Can you sense the scathing tone of this passage? Why? because Israel's worship had become an empty worship. It had become a false worship. It had become a hollow worship. It had become a hypocritical worship. God desires worship from a sincere heart. He desires worship from a loving, repentant, and obedient heart, not just sacrifices and offerings. Hosea chapter six, verse six says this, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than the burnt offerings. In first Samuel 15, after King Saul disobeyed God by not destroying the oxen and the the sheep of the Amalekites, he actually saved the oxen and the sheep that were supposed to be destroyed so that he can sacrifice them to the Lord in Gilgal. In his disobedience of the Lord's command, Samuel said this. Did you catch the purpose of why he saved the oxen and the sheep. He said, I want to sacrifice him to the Lord. But in his disobedience, listen to what Samuel said. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. In our text this morning, because of rebellion and disobedience, God had rejected Israel's worship. God commanded his people to offer sacrifices of burnt offerings, but the sacrifices of his people became reprehensible to him. Why? Because they were offered with with pure motives of, because they were not offered with pure motives of sincere repentance. God found their empty worship utterly repulsive because they did so as they persisted in their iniquity. What is iniquity? Iniquity is lawlessness, wickedness. That was the condition of their hearts and how they they were living their lives in the midst of offering sacrifices of bulls and goats and lambs. God found their sacrifices meaningless because the leaders and the people failed in their obedience to God's law. Instead of coming to worship God in the temple with their sacrifices and offerings with with repentant hearts due to sin. They came to worship God but with a disregard to the violence and the oppression of the orphans and the widows in their midst. Listen, Trinity gifts and sacrifices mean nothing to God when we come to him from a corrupt heart. The outward expression is meaningless if the inward faith is missing. God no longer delighted in their sacrificial offerings. Did you notice how Isaiah worded the amount of sacrifices and offerings? He said it was a multitude of sacrifices. The leaders and the people had come to make sacrifices at the altar of burnt offerings and their sacrifices were in multitudes. Their sacrifices and offerings were piled up and stacked up yet God was not pleased with their worship. Today, it might even look like this for us. We go to church every Sunday. We attend community group every Wednesday night or Thursday night. We give generously and sacrificially in the offering and in our tithes. We serve in children's ministry or or we serve on the worship team or the usher team or the security team or the connect team. We volunteer in all the church-wide workdays. Do you feel? Do you see all of these sacrifices and offerings stacking up in multitudes? We make meals for other families who are in need. We share our resources with others who need help. We sing out loud with lifted hands during corporate worship. We come to all the prayer meetings yet the Lord can be repulsed by all these things? Why? Because if we do all of these things without repentance from sin and we continue in our iniquities and in, in a lifestyle of lawlessness and wickedness, our worship will no longer be acceptable to him. Now, I'm not talking about those who are trying to live a godly lifestyle but sometimes fall into sin. I'm talking about those who come to church and worship religiously and after leaving, continue living outright lawlessness and wickedness in their lives. God makes it clear that He is not merely interested in religious rituals the religious rituals that he required of them, which was to promote communion with God, are now frustrating to him. Look with me at verse 12. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, the calling of corporate meetings, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. God is saying that he cannot endure lawlessness and wickedness when, we, when the church meets on every Sunday worship service or when they meet every Christmas Eve service or when they meet on Good Fridays and Easter Sundays. Verse 14 says, your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Although it was God's law that required these festivals when performed merely as rituals, not true worship, well, they became an abomination to him. The leaders of Israel, specifically Judah and Jerusalem were careful making the traditional sacrifices and offerings at holy celebrations, but they were still unfaithful to God in their hearts. It is as if God says that he hates when we gather at magnifying nights or even at potluck dinners if we remain unrepentant in our hearts and we continue to live a sinful lifestyle. Verse 15 says, when you spread out your hands, I will, make, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. In the ancient Near East, when people pray, they spread out their hands as a gesture of petition. God is saying that when you pray with unrepentant and disobedient hearts, I will hide my eyes from you. God is saying that when you pray with unrepentant and disobedient hearts, I will not listen to the many prayers that you lift up to heaven. Why? Because their hands were full of blood. More on this later. Although the leaders and the people did not feel sorry for their sins, they continued to offer sacrifices for forgiveness. Amazing. Why then did they continue to offer sacrifices, we may ask? One commentator said this, Like many people today, they had come to place more faith in the rituals of their religion than in the God they worshiped. John N. Oswald said said it in this way, pagan religions, speaking of verse 15, promised automatic propitiation and blessing without commitment or ethical change. It was very easy for Israel to slip back into ceremonial rituals and sacrifices that made it possible for people to feel, think, and do whatever they wished. That's hypocritical worship. That's empty worship. That's hollow worship. That's false worship, and God hates it. the leaders and the people saw sacrifice and worship as a way to manipulate God while they continued to live their lives in rebellion and disobedience. Therefore, their multitudes of offerings and sacrifices had become meaningless and worthless to God. Well, I'm going to church faithfully I sing wholeheartedly, I give generously, I serve sacrificially so that I can continue to live my life however I want to live. Church, when we worship like this, this is when it becomes worthless and meaningless to God. When our worship of God becomes a way to manipulate him so that we can continue in sin, then that is when our worship becomes meaningless and abominable worship to God. Oh, it just continues. Verse 13 says, bring no more vain offerings incense is an abomination to me. The the incense that were supposed to be accompanied with, with the offering was intended to be a sweet aroma. It was intended to be a sweet fragrance to God. But when offered with hypocrisy, it became a nauseating stench to God. An abomination to God. Israel's worship made God not delight in them. Their offerings became an abomination to him. God could not endure their hypocritical worship. He hated them. Their false worship became a burden to them. It was was wearying to him. It made him hide his eyes from them. It made him not want to listen to their prayers. Am I making this up, church, or do you see that? In verses 11 through 15. Why did God reject their worship? Because their hands were full of blood. Why? because they were just going through the motions of worship while living flagrant, disobedient lives. They allowed violence, injustice, and oppression of the helpless. In their sacrifices and offerings, instead of lifting the weight of sin from their shoulders, their worship simply became an intolerable burden to God. Now, God turns from summoning his people, accusing his people, to calling them to repentance. Observation number three the call to repentance. Look with me at verses 16 and 17. Wash yourselves make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Verses 16 and 17 shifts from the accusations of leaders and the people of Jerusalem and Judah and their iniquities to a call to repentance. Just when we should expect condemnation and destruction, God shows. His grace and mercy. He shows his steadfast love, his faithfulness to his covenant with his people. Yahweh called Israel to wash themselves clean of sin and make themselves clean. This church is a clear call to repentance. For Israel Repentance involves cessation of evil activities as well as the requirement to do good. For the leaders and the people, repentance involves turning from sin and turning to the practice of justice and righteousness. In particular, caring for the oppressed, the orphan, and the widows who were the weakest in their society. Genuine repentance is turning away from sinful behavior and turning toward obedience. And by God's grace, he would remove the crimson stain of sin and provide all that they needed and more if they would only trust and obey him. Listen, church, where God did not respond to prayers offered from a life of persistent wickedness, God is now willing to remove the crimson stain of sin if they would only repent. You see, God wants us to love him, obey him, trust in him, turn from our sin only after we do those things, he will be pleased with our worship. He'll be pleased with all of the multiple sacrifices of time, energy, and resources, and the offerings of our finances. Now, just to be clear, people cannot clean themselves before a holy God. The point that Isaiah makes here is the people's responsibility to repent. Without God's forgiving grace, repentance and obedience in one's life is useless. The point here is that unless we repent of our sin, the grace of God cannot be applied in his forgiveness. For Israel, to do good is to view people as God does. They were to seek justice. They were to seek righteousness, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, the orphans, and plead the widow's cause. Micah 6 6 says this With what shall I come before the Lord? and bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10 thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Why did God call them to do these good works? It's because this is how God dealt with them when they were strangers, when they were outcast, when they were needy, when they were helpless. In order for true worship to take place, we need to have a heart like God, to hate what is evil and to love what is good and right and holy. Bible scholars differ on this, but apparently it was the leaders or the kings who have mistreated the orphans and the widows. Or... Perhaps it was the people who tolerated the oppression and injustice of the people, the orphans and the widows who were no longer cared for or about. Regardless of who is right, true repentance for Israel was to make things right again. Repentance is setting right the wrongs you have done. So Trinity What do we need to do to make things right again? What have you done wrong against someone that you need to repent of and make right? God is calling us to repentance this day for the wrongs that we have done. Let's obey the Lord and repent and seek to do good for his glory and for our good. It is only when we come to worship, our worship will be acceptable. To God and glorifying to Him. First, the summons to hear. Second, the accusations. Third, the call to repentance. And now, fourth, the closing argument. Look with me at verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Hear the word of the Lord, inviting his people to reason with him or to dispute with him. The Lord, who was the offended party, was seeking to settle the matter with his people. God called his people to come and settle this dispute so that he could restore his covenant relationship with them. Do you see God's mercy here, church? Do you see God's faithfulness here, church? Do you see his steadfast love and commitment to his covenant with his people? In effect, God is saying, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. If you come before me with your blood red hands, your stain of sin, then I will wash you white as snow. If you repent before me, though your stain of sin is blood red, you shall become like wool. A deep stain is virtually... Impossible to remove from clothing, isn't it? How many of you have owned a white shirt or a pair of pants or white shorts and got a dark stain on it? What would you end up doing with it? <laughs> or, or you threw it away. That's not how God operates with those who repent and obey. The stain of sin is equally permanent, but God can remove the indelible stain of sin from our lives, church. We don't have to go through life permanently soiled. There is hope for us. God can take away the stain of sin without compromising his righteousness because Jesus Christ bore the punishment that we deserved on the cross. Oh, I wish we were a clapping church. <laughs> I'm working hard to encourage you. Please work hard to encourage me. Okay, okay. Watch out. He has made a way for this to happen through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, says this, church. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of of us in, in our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Finally, the fifth observation, the decision. The call to repentance, now the decision. Look with me at verses 19 and 20. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has Spoken, The rulers and the people of Israel had two options on how they were to respond to the Lord's accusation and his call to repentance. Repent and obey or refuse and continue to rebel. To repent and obey is to have their sin of uh, white clean, Wiped away and live well in the land, and eat of the good of the land. To continue to rebel is to be devoured by the sword. There is a word play here in the Hebrew language. The obedient will eat the good produce of the land, but the rebellious ones will be devoured by the sword. Old Testament history tells us that for those who were rebe- who were rebellious and continued to rebel the sword devoured them. The Assyrians came and conquered the northern kingdom. The Babylonians came and conquered the southern kingdom. The Persians came and conquered And the people who rebelled were devoured by the sword. They were destroyed. The Word of God presents to us two options this morning to repent and obey the Lord, or to refuse and continue to rebel. Sadly, in verse 23 of the same chapter, the people of God did not bring justice to the fatherless, and they did not appeal for the widow's cause. They were devoured by the sword. What about us? Trinity Community Church. We have two choices before us. Have you been offering up hypocritical or false worship that wearies and burdens the Lord? You've been coming to church faithfully, you've been serving in the different ministries, you've been giving sacrificially and generously yet your heart is far from repentance and you don't feel sorry for your sinful lifestyle. As one of your pastors, I want to appeal to you to repent and cease to live a sinful lifestyle. Only then is the Lord glorified in your faithful service, your generous sacrifices and offerings, in your worship. Repent and, and obey the teaching of God's word and his, in his holy word, and you will live the good life. You will live in the good of the gospel. If you are a believer and you refuse and continue to rebel, then you will continue to a life of destruction. You will continue to live a life of destruction in your marriage in your families, in your work and school situations. God has rescued you from ultimate destruction, eternal separation from him. But you don't have to live a life of destruction while you live here on earth. I appeal to you, repent and obey and turn from your iniquities. I trust you know what that looks like. I'm not talking of sincere Christians who have given their lives to God, not only in their hearts and in their service, who seek to live godly lives, but are still imperfect and still sin, but yet is remorseful, but yet has godly grief in their sin and seek to repent and to do better. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, they will have victory of those sins. I'm not talking about that group of people. I'm talking about those who have come to saving faith, who come here religiously, give and serve, and yet leave and continue to live a sinful lifestyle. I don't know who you are. Maybe there's not anybody in here. But I must preach the word of God. And I must share this with you for the purpose of God's glory. For Christ's renown. His namesake. Because he gave himself for you. So that you can live your lives. So that you can worship God the Father in a way that is pleasing to him. Worship team, will you please join me here on the platform? I'm gonna close us in prayer, and then we will dismiss, but I want to encourage us to first consider how we might respond. Father, we thank you for your word, even though it was weighty, even though it was heavy. Lord, we thank you because it was your grace that delivered us from the destruction that we deserve. It was your kindness that seeks to dispute with us so that we can come to you in re- with repentant hearts so that our stain of sin can be washed white as snow so that our blood-red stain of sin will become as wool. And you did so not out of our expense, but at the expense of Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the holy one who loved us and who laid down his life willingly. What amazing grace. Father, As we behold the beauty of the gospel, I pray that you would use that as our our motivation to live lives worthy of the calling of the gospel. That we would come to worship you with multitudes of sacrifices and offerings, but also with repentant hearts when we mess up, but also hearts that desire to live for Christ and to renounce all ungodliness and hate what is evil and love what is good and holy and righteous. Father, be glorified as we sing to you. I thank you for that remnant that you saved. Because out of that remnant came your son, the line of David, the true king of kings, who laid his life down so that we can receive forgiveness and so that today we can come in worship that will be pleasing and honoring to you. Father, receive all glory. Jesus be magnified as we sing unto you, Holy Spirit. Manifest God's presence among us. We want you, God. Be glorified as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand with me, please?